This is Voices of COVID-19. I'm Brian Lucas. Thanks for joining us. In normal times, communities across the country would now be gearing up for the pomp and circumstance of graduation. This year, however, things will be different. Students will still transition, there will still be excitement and tears, but there won't be large commencement ceremonies launching students into the next phase of their lives. It's just one more indication of how different this school year has been. But the upheaval of the school year due to COVID-19 was not just felt by students. Teachers also had to quickly adjust to a new reality and the prospect of educating and guiding students through technology rather than face-to-face. In appreciation of their hard work and dedication, I wanted to mark graduation week by talking with a teacher about what it was like to take on this unique challenge. So today I'm joined by Jim Mahoney, a high school English teacher and college counselor in Minneapolis. Full disclosure, Jim was my daughter Julia's college counselor, and he'll be doing the same for my daughter Molly next year. Jim, thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me today. Thank you. I want to take you back, first of all, just to think about when this whole pandemic started to roll out and we all realized that it was going to change everything and in particular change the school year. When did you realize that this was as big a deal as it has turned out to be and that it was going to change everything? Suppose I realized alongside a lot of folks, which was the night that we found out Tom Hanks and his wife had contracted coronavirus and the NBA was shutting down. And there had been certainly active conversations around school and among friends and and in my home as well. But that seemed to be the inflection point when everybody realized, wait a second, this is going to be a huge deal. And I think that happened on a Wednesday and our school was about to head out to spring break on Friday. So things changed pretty dramatically among students and, and faculty at that time. I think a lot of people just assumed that once spring break hit, that there was going to be some time, at least some time after spring break, where people would not be coming back to school. What was that atmosphere like for those few days when people were coming to grips with the fact that this might be it for a while? It was surreal. And I know a lot of us use that word a lot every day. I think each email I've sent in the last two months has used some variation on surreal. But there was a real distinct sense of things will change and it may be a while. And I can remember in my creative writing class, one of the seniors asking half jokingly, so can we go do our senior run, which is a school tradition where the students sort of jog around the school and, you know, bang drums and make a lot of clamor on their last day of classes. But here it was middle of March. So there was a sort of laughing, but also a realization that, wait a minute, there is a faint at that point possibility we might not be back. Looking in the eyes of your students on those days and trying to explain things or put things in perspective for them, emotionally, how was that for you? Wow, that's a great question. I, It was real. And I think in, in the field of teaching and what brought me to teaching and working in schools was that I could be my most full self, ideally, in a classroom um, as a counselor, whatever role we play, it's it's truly human. And I do know there was a you know, there were a lot of feelings going around our building. And I was looking to try to provide, you know, a sense of calm as best I could, but I couldn't deny in my own heart, in my own head, what I was also processing and what we were staring down. So 
Um, not sure that I was at my best at that point, but I certainly was, you know, doing the old act as if, acting as if I had it under control because I wanted the kids to feel some sense of calm and and to know too that we were going to stick with them and be with them. I think about being a teacher through moments of major upheaval or major moments in history. For example, nine eleven, or on those days when there's, you know, unfortunately school shootings and things like that. How does this compare to the role that you were forced to play during those other events? And is there a similar vibe to trying to be a pillar of strength for kids, but also you're dealing with things yourself? I think of 9-11. I was a young teacher then. At that time, I was working at a residential boarding school on the East Coast, and we had families who might have had someone you know, in the Twin Towers and in New York, plenty of kids were from the city. And so I remember gathering in the school chapel and again, surreal, right? Because you're in the context in this framework, everyone knows each other through joyful daily interactions and this, you know, kind of idealized community setting that we all hope school can be. And here we were all staring down something that we had no idea how it was going to play out, who was going to be affected by it. But again, we know kids look to adults and that's the opportunity we have as educators. And it's a privilege in so many ways to provide that, you know, support, strength and calm when you can, even if you have to go home and cry or, you know, process with your partner or those who you have close to you. So it was very similar in that sense. What was different in this time was how, you know, we just and we still, I think, feel this way, too. We still don't know so much. Um, and there's so many different waves that have come forward and that public health is a much larger question or conundrum than any of us can, can individually grasp. So that's something that we continue to, to wrestle with. But it did bring me back. That is something that I've talked to several colleagues about as well. So then you went on spring break and then you had to immediately transition to be an online teacher. How does that work. I mean, you're somebody who gets energy from the classroom and from the students and from the interactions, and suddenly you're transitioning your cur curriculum to a medium that you've probably never used for teaching before. So our school, like many schools, was working on, you know, the fly. It was intense to try to get your head around how to deliver content in a brand new format. I knew it could work. And so I think I had a sense of, okay, well, this is an opportunity. It's going to take some change and I'm going to have to be part of the solution rather than be part of the problem in some way. And then it was just trying to get down to brass tacks and determine the best ways to deliver content to account for student challenge in this format. We wrestled with the question of assessment and grading and, you know, how long to be online in a day, how much screen time is too much. I'm teaching high school seniors, but I know of, you know, third grade teachers who have the same kinds of challenges. So in the end, it came to, you know, what what is the best I can possibly offer them in this format and how can we make it work? And so there was just a lot of communication between department members and, and sharing in the first week or two, how are things going? What can we modify? How can we continue to improve? It takes that level of collaboration to say, okay, how's it going for you? What are you learning? What didn't work? And so that involved a lot of changes on the fly that we tried to make look natural. Describe that first moment when you logged on to your first online class and looked through a screen to see all of these kids that you were used to seeing in person every day. What was that like? It was a little weird, right? But at the same time, it was welcome. We, I had put together a couple of quick prompts, just to the, the hi, how are you type things that were connected to some of the content we'd done in the class. I teach a class on comedy. 
as a genre and reading Oscar Wilde and Shakespeare. And so trying to bring in something through that, something we'd read before, the context of the class worked pretty well for that. But there was a, it was tough to generate you know, the energy you get in person. As you said before, I'm definitely someone who draws from that. I think most teachers do. We like that community. And, and so I think for students, it took them a minute. And I can't deny that I had some of that too, that sense of, okay, this is different, but we can still do productive things and, and create community. Did you have a moment when you were doing an online class and something happened and you thought to yourself, okay, this, this is working? This is actually going to be pretty good. Yes, I gathered an insight from a colleague of mine who really encouraged me and others to use breakout rooms in Zoom and to give students a particular task to you know, coordinate a question or two, engage that question and bring it back to the group. And so, again, it's a technique that's relatively accessible, something I would do in my own classroom, but there's always a little bit of fear with technology. And are the breakout rooms going to literally break? <laughs> and so then are we in some other place where I lose the kids and I have to get back on the technology? But we were reading this play that we could read aloud. And that was another thing that worked well was just doing readings. And that built a subtle kind of community too. And I always want students to read aloud in class. But when we were reading aloud in class and it's a funny play and to hear kids laughing, I was thinking, ah, okay, do, do more read alouds. You know, it's just literally writing notes as I was going and trying to coach myself to improve and to ditch certain things and bring other things in. So there was a bit of a tightrope to every day, but when things worked, I could, you know, go make my sad tuna sandwich upstairs and say, okay, we did something better today. And, and you know, that's, that's growth. And that's part of the fun of this. I've, I've been able to draw some of that. You mentioned that one of the courses that you teach is about comedy. I would think that that would be a very welcome course right now, but also difficult because you're teaching a lot of seniors who may not be in the mood for comedy right now. I mean, that class has since concluded, and I think it got better by tone over time. But there was a fundamental irony. And actually, we we really studied irony in this class. We studied what it is, that dissonance between expectation and reality. And they were living that every day. That expectation had been, you know, layered into the spring of the senior year for high school students. And, and they're all sensitive kids. And they understand that, you know, they can count their blessings and look to, you know, a healthy family and secure, you know, basic needs being met, but there's still a lot of grief that would happen. And I could see that on the faces of my students some days, I really could. And I tried my best to, to operate in a, with a sense of empathy, but also to understand that some of those kids would come to my class wanting to feel elevated. Maybe the content could do it. Maybe my bad dad jokes could bring a smile. It was just a variety of techniques that you bring to any classroom, right? There's always a, a bag of tricks and some moves you know you can use. And this brought out new ones. Relationships are the most important thing to me as a teacher. That's what the kids will remember. It's not what you taught them in content or if they understand Manipian satire as much. I hope they do. And I think we did some good work with Manipian satire this term, but I'd be much more concerned with how they feel at the end of the day. And did they feel affirmed? And did they feel like they were a member of a community and added value? Ultimately, that was my hope. Maybe they appreciated the moments with you and with the other students even more than if they had been just going into class as they had done every other day through their high school career. I absolutely think that happened. And I felt the same way. I, I really look forward to the class. And even just goofy, you know, questions of the day or things that we would do that are just, you know, in the quotidian Tuesdays of life that we have, you don't really think of this as a special thing. But when so many different personal, interpersonal moments had been extracted, 
you know, even just those silly little things you do to get a class warmed up where I could feel welcome and I welcomed them too. And so, yeah, I think that they looked forward to it. I know I did. The other hat that you wear is college counseling. You know, I think that a lot of times the counseling aspect of that college counseling is really elevated. What was it like to try to fulfill that journey with these students that you'd been with for so long in these strange circumstances? It was wild, and it still is on some level. There's no question this was really challenging. And to not know as well what the story would be for the fall and still don't really know what it's going to look like on a campus. But what I tried to emphasize with my seniors was to, you know, really stay focused on the criteria that led them to apply to that school and to get them excited enough to consider it as an option. We really try to emphasize you would never apply to a school in which you wouldn't gladly enroll. And so they'd done some of that legwork already and they could use their critical thinking skills, which we don't want them to abandon you know, just because they go visit a school on a sunny day versus a rainy day, right? And say, well, you know, maybe none of my other criteria applied, but gosh, that was a beautiful morning. (laughs) So, so, so yeah, so we just wanted them to to bear down and, and do the best they could with the information they had, knowing that it would be fundamentally incomplete, but a lot of partnership and, and the Zoom calls were helpful. There were other opportunities to innovate that we tried to put into play. Have you had many conversations with the seniors that you counsel about the uncertainty of the fall? I've had some conversations and a lot of it, we depend on the colleges to which, you know, they've sent their deposits and where they're going to enroll to share their plans and ideas. And then we try to respond to what the content is there. That's sort of like being an English teacher, you know, take me to the text. What are they telling you? Okay, let's process that together. So I've had a few of those conversations lately, but there's still so many question marks yet to be determined. So, um, you know, there have been some students who have pondered what a gap year would look like. But, you know, not very, very few that I know of who have really taken the next step to research that. One challenge about a gap year is that a lot of the traditional routes and programs students would explore are also facing, you know, great limitations, whether it regards service or travel or employment, that there's a lot of questions there, too. So the the options aren't as, you know, uh, variable as they might be for a student who in a normal year was thinking, well, maybe I'd take a year to grow or do something different before I enroll in college. There's there's also, you know, a lot of question marks on that part too. So so we're just trying to stay in touch and and as a school share information and and just be open when we can. So this coming week is graduation. Every graduating class is part of your story. And what's it like for you to think about this is how you're going to bid adieu to this chapter of your story? Well, it's a great question. You know, I had a homeroom of, of nine students I've been with for four years, and we did our final homeroom meeting, and it was really bittersweet. And we all dedicated that we would get together and sit on a lake and eat bad food at some point before long. Who knows when that time will be, but. We as a, as a team, as a faculty, have been communicating a lot about how to make it special for the kids. And I think the school's done a good job overall. And I've seen a lot of schools do this in my hometown in New Hampshire. They're running a chairlift graduation, which is kids going on alternating chairlifts to the top of the mountain in the small mountain town, North Conway, New Hampshire. And they're going to take pictures at the top, walk onto a secure area, grab their diploma and take the chairlift down. And it's getting national attention. It's a wonderful way to access the resources of the community and go through something that's distinctive. And I think in the end, this class will have, you know, to look back on this time, there'll obviously be a lot of feelings and a lot of difficult ones, but hopefully, you know, as a school or as a community, we can find a way to celebrate them. Speaking of innovation, 
at your school, seniors do an independent study project at the end of the year. And this year, a lot of students had to change their projects. You had a couple of students who decided to do their senior projects with you. What was it like innovating on the fly and trying to develop a program with these students? Students from each of my two classes, one's comedy and one's creative writing, and each of them wanted to keep going. And I just asked them what they want to do for a couple of weeks. And we resolved at studying contemporary poetry. We got into a, a seminar and it's been wonderful. So again, it's some of the innovation is the format. We meet on Zoom and you know we could do that in person, but ultimately it's, it's to see the joy they found in poems that were new to them and to see poetry as something that is a part of life that can be drawn from the materials of the everyday. So not to put you on the spot, but you, you mentioned there was one poem that resonated particularly well. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to read that poem and then tell me why did you think that it resonated with these students? I can. It's called Bees by Jane Hirschfield. Bees. In every instant, two gates. One opens to fragrant paradise, one to hell. Mostly we go through neither. Mostly we nod to our neighbor, lean down to pick up the paper, go back into the house. But the faint cries, ecstasy, horror, or did you think it the sound of distant bees making only the thick honey of this good life? That's bees. (laughs) A student brought this to me. I had her read it. Part of what is fun about teaching is to see how students access meaning in their own lives. And so she took this as a call to reach out and a call to make more of that in between and not just to, you know, mindlessly pick up the paper and go back into your house and be alone and isolated, but to to do more. And I, I think that's a good lesson to draw from this poem, as good as any. Going forward, are there things that you've learned from working your way through this on the fly and changing the, you know, to online teaching and, and being forced into a different format for your teaching. Are there things that you think you'll carry forward that may actually make a difference in the future in terms of the way you approach your job? Absolutely. I will use technology more. I think a lot of us might say, well, I'll, you know, the second we go back to school, I'll delete zoom from every platform, but I won't, I've found great value in it. And, but what I say to that is that there are ways to do this work differently that this opportunity um, has shown us. I'll give an example. I, in my writing and helping coaching students in their creative writing, um, I use a software called Loom. I never used it before. It's a basic screencasting software. It's pretty slick, but essentially you just talk over the image on the screen and send an email and you can read it from any platform. And I've been giving students feedback on short stories. And I was meeting with a student even this morning and I asked him, how's that been? And he loves it. And it feels like a conversation. And that's the irony is that the technology and that we're forced to be out of the building, but the technology exists for us to feel even closer. That will be the larger lesson I'll take from this, not just in teaching, but in counseling to try to harness the technology to do more with that. For the students in general, but really the graduating seniors, on a personal level, what advice would you give to these students who are going out into the world in these circumstances and facing this future together? Wow, I don't mean to invert the question, but I think I would want to ask them for advice. <laughs> they're going to have, they're going to be, you know, so evolved from this time and so ready for whatever challenges they have to face in their young adulthood. You know, to think of what they've had to leave behind and and to move through. 
So I, you know, I have the utmost respect for what they've had to, to make sense of and continue to stay positive. There's going to be some wise students and young people before their time. In terms of any advice I would give, I think I would only tell them, you know, to look inward and to try to gain what they can from the moment. I think that living in the moment for all of us has been put upon us without our choice. And the ease through which you could cast forward and stress and worry about the future or, you know, perseverate on the past and what could be different, what choices might have led to better present outcomes. I've heard this term about the now normal instead of the new normal, which I appreciate because we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we do have the now normal. And so we have right in front of us an opportunity to do with today what we can. And, and there's nothing more that could show us that truth than this experience. So I would only have them look to what they can do to make today as positive and as, as you know, connected as possible. We all have something to, to offer and most of it is about making the most of today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your perspective and all of the work that you've done, pandemic or not. I really appreciate all the work that you do. So thanks for joining me. It's an honor to do it. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Voices of COVID-19 is an attempt to document the thoughts and feelings of people who are perhaps outside the limelight to get personal reflections on how a pandemic impacts all of our lives. If you know of someone who might make a good guest on this podcast, please send them to me at brian at truevoicecommunications.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay separate. And we'll get through this together. Mm-hmm.